the adults are being seated, let's go ahead and dismiss the kids to City of Lights. Go ahead and follow Eric, follow Nicole. They are wearing the bright yellow hats. Follow Juliana. Hi, Juliana. Very, very good, very good. Tim, thank you for leading us in worship. Christy as well, looking forward to returning to that uh, after a message. So a week ago, on Sunday, Sunday afternoon, I watched the musical Hamilton on Disney Plus. Okay? That was the second time I have watched it, and this time I watched it on subtitles. Made way more sense than the first time. <laughs> way more. All right, any of you seen Hamilton? Show of hands. Okay, good. Five of you, six of you. Very good. I might have to change the whole direction I'm going with this morning's sermon. That is okay. Did you, those, those six that watched it, did you like it? Did you follow it at all? No? It's subtitles. It makes the difference, okay? In the middle of this musical, there's a, a song titled, In the Room Where It Happens. And the character Aaron Burr is singing this song, wishing he had been in the room with Hamilton, with Madison, and with Jefferson when Hamilton was trying to convince the other two of the legitimacy of his debt plan. Now, for Aaron Burr, the main point of his song was that nobody else was in the room when that happened, and he so wanted to know what was said, how those other two were convinced that this was a good plan. Now, Thinking of that this past week, it got me wondering, which event in history would I have liked to have been in the room when it happened? Which event, maybe I'll ask it a different way for everybody who hasn't seen Hamilton, which is most of you, which event would I like to be a fly on the wall in the room when it happened? I'm going to just keep saying that. You'll know the song by the end of it. All right? So I want you to think about that, because I'm going to ask you, there's fewer people here than normal because everybody's watching online today, so what event in history would you like to have been a fly on the wall for? We asked that, uh, we asked that on our social media accounts on Friday, and we had one person brave enough to answer, Joel, thank you, appreciate that. Joel wanted to be a fly on the walls that hadn't been created yet in the six days of creation. Would have been interesting to watch that, for sure, all right? We get a couple other responses this morning. Aaron says he would like to have been at Einstein's deathbed. No one was there to hear what his final words would have been, so it would have been cool to know what he said. Now, Abby also agrees with you, Joel, that creation would have been a good one to be around for. Hannah says that she would have liked to have been in the lunar lander when it went to the moon. I wonder if the fly on the wall would have had oxygen or been weightless. <laughs> There's like a fly that flies when it's weightless actually have to walk? I don't know. Huh. All right, now maybe one of my favorites is uh, Christie's. She said she would have liked to have been in the room at the beheading of Anne Boleyn. But for those, for those who don't know what that is, that's the beheading of one of Henry VIII's wives. Okay? I'm so glad you wanted to be in the room when that happened. It's fantastic. I would have liked to have been in the room when the conversation was being had with General Custer, and somehow he was convinced that it was a good idea to go fight the natives at the Battle of Little Bighorn. Right? I grew up like 12 miles from there, and I always wondered, why? Dude, come on, man. Today, we get to continue our short sermon series on sin, confession, and repentance, and today we get to see how grace ties into the equation. 
We get to see a great story found in Luke chapter 7. In fact, because of Luke's written account, we get to be in the room when it happened. You guys go ahead and grab your Bibles, your apps, however you find God's Word. Turn to Luke chapter 7. As you are turning there, I'd like to ask God's blessing on our sermon. Lord God, we do recognize every time we open your Word, we have the opportunity to hear from you. Frankly, we have an opportunity to hear from you anytime. So this morning, Lord, would you give us ears to hear? eyes to see, and hearts that are receptive. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So over the last couple of weeks, I said we've been in a short sermon series talking about sin, confession, and repentance. And today, we get to see what happens when those collide with the unconditional love and forgiveness of Jesus. And we get to see one of the greatest grace bombs ever dropped. Here's the story. Luke chapter 7, verse 36 to 50. You guys can follow along in your texts or just listen. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Verse 41, then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Well, Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven who has forgiven little, shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is the word of the Lord this morning. Imagine with me, and it may not be too hard to do this, that you were in the room when that happened. Depending on who you were, which character you were, it's going to drastically change your experience of what just took place. Now, here's what I love about a story like this. It leaves us with a whole ton of unanswered questions and yet answers the most important ones. It leaves us with a ton of unanswered questions yet answers the biggest questions. And a story like this basically teaches itself. Let's go to verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. 
Now, if you stop there, you might think, what was the Pharisee's name? Well, we find that out later. His name was Simon. Okay? Why did he invite Jesus over? Was it because he was going to oppose him? Was it to find weak spots in his, in his teaching? Was it because he wanted to learn about following him? Was it because he wanted to learn what this up-and-comer new rabbi who was traveling through town thought? Right? Any of those questions. We don't know why, why he invited him over. But the text does say Jesus sat down to eat. Now in the Greek, and maybe in some of your translations, it says he reclined. So when you think of this, when you're there in the story, don't picture our typical dining room table and chairs. Right? With a high back, you put your feet down low, and each table is 36 inches high. Don't picture that. Because in this culture, you probably know this, when a group would gather around a table at a meal like this, they would recline on couches at a lower table. They would recline on their left arm so that their right arm would be free to eat. You picturing this? So Jesus' feet, they aren't dangling at, at, a, at a normal chair. They're behind him. Verse 37. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. A certain immoral woman. A woman known around town, a well-known sinner of the streets. Now, the text doesn't say it, but most scholars agree that she was a prostitute. So this raises a ton of questions. How did she get in the party? Right? Who invited her? Did the people recognize her when she walked in? Did she have appropriate clothing to wear at a dinner party for religious people? And that, the, the bouncer, why did he not keep her out? Right? That alabaster jar of perfume, how big was it? How did she get it? You know how expensive those things are? How did she, enough money, how did she have enough money to even buy that? Did she earn that money working her job at nights? How did she know Jesus was going to be there? Had she ever heard Jesus teaching, talking, preaching, maybe on the street corner where she works? And again, how in the world was she in the room when this happened? According to commentator William Barclay, it was the custom in the East that when a rabbi was at a meal such as this, all kinds of people came in. All right, they were, they were free to come and go they, so that these people could listen to the pearls of wisdom that would fall from the rabbi's lips. So rich folk, poor folk, free people, slaves, men, women, they were all free to come and go. And this explains the presence of the woman. All right, because of this custom, no bouncer would have kept her out. No one would have turned her away. Now, they would have looked down on her, which we see later in the story, but she would have been free to come and go. And what about that alabaster jar of perfume? Just show me, because I want to make sure you're awake. How big do you think that jar was? Go ahead, with your hands. Not, every, not everybody's awake yet. Okay? Picture this. Okay, according to the same commentator, all Jewish women, this is important, all Jewish women wore a little vial of concentrated perfume called an alabaster. Wore it around their necks. These were very costly. What does this make this woman? A Jew. This jar would have been the best thing the unnamed woman in the story owned, and she wanted to offer it to Jesus. Now, we shouldn't see this jar of perfume as money earned through her questionable lifestyle, right? If anything, we should see it as her one thing that is still tying her to her people, 
Because her people would have kicked her out of the club long ago. But she still has this. She still wears this. There's still hope for her. And her hope might be found in this Jesus who she's seen, seen and heard teaching on the corner. Is her one tie to this tribe of people. And she comes to Jesus ready to give her best. But when she got near him, she was overwhelmed. Overcome with emotion. Verse 38. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. My text says she knelt behind Jesus. Some of yours probably just say she stood behind Jesus. The Greek says she stands, she was standing. I don't think it matters one way or the other, because as an observer in the room where it's happening, a collective gasp would have taken the air right out of the room. There were several social faux pas that were happening, social miscues that were taking place. One, this woman was a guest, and she was extremely close to the guest of honor. Okay, Two, this woman was a woman, and she was touching a man. Jewish women didn't touch Jewish men unless they were married, and then it was only in their house. Okay, This woman was touching a rabbi. Did not happen. Very did not happen. She was kissing his feet to make matters worse. She was crying. Here's a question. Was she crying when she walked in? Did she start crying when she saw Jesus? Was she crying like women do when you see the Beatles come on stage? Or Justin Bieber for the younger ones, right? Come on, lady, pull it together, right? Was she crying? Was there just like a single tear coming down her cheek? Well, no, because we know there was enough tears to be falling on Jesus' feet to where, you know, she needed to wipe them off. So was there wailing involved? Was there sniffling involved? Whatever it was, we now see Jesus' feet wet with tears, and she unbinds her hair to wipe the tears. A second collective gasp. Can you do it? Go, <gasps> do that. <gasps> that was good. For a Jewish woman to unbind her hair would have been gravely immoral. A young Jewish girl would have bound up her hair on her wedding day and never again wore it down in public, ever. So for this Jewish woman to unbind her hair and wipe Jesus' feet with them showed that she had forgotten that everyone was in the room except Jesus. And I would imagine if you were in a room when that happened, you could hear a pin drop. So we keep going. And we pick up the pace just a little bit. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. How did this man know who this woman was? Had he seen her on the street corner? Had he visited her with her before had he tried to get her to repent of her sins and enfold her back into the jewish faith by praying the sinner's prayer we don't know any of that but we know that he knew that she was a sinner and that's all that mattered to him all right so we keep going verse 40 starts like this then jesus answered his thoughts every single one of us should have our jaws down now then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, 
Simon replied. Then Jesus told him a story. Not a trick question, okay? I want an answer. When someone says to you, I have something to tell you. I want to tell you a story. Who is that person looking at? Yeah, not a trick question. Go ahead. You, right? Not me, but you. Right? But if I said to you, let me tell you a story, I'm looking at me. Yeah, you. So is it safe to assume that Jesus was looking at Simon when he said, I have a story for you? Yeah. Okay, good. Good. Yes, it is. So Jesus is looking at Simon and he tells this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. That's denarii in some of your translations. One denarii equals a day's wage. So do the math on that really quick. Good job, Christy. 500 is two years worth of work. Not counting weekends because, you know, they have Saturday and Sundays off back then. 50 is roughly two months worth of work. This is a lot of money. Jesus said this guy loaned to two people, 500 to one, 50 to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And we get more questions. Okay, at what point in the story did Simon realize Jesus was talking about him? Or did he yet? Was the woman listening when Jesus told the story? Could she even hear over her sobs? Could she see where Jesus was looking? Because, you know, she had tears blurring her vision. At what point in the story did the woman realize that he was probably telling the story about her too? And when she did, did she freeze? Now tears and cold sweat dripping from her body. Did she freeze trying to make sure that nobody, hoping, praying that nobody would be looking at her? If that was the case, she's about to experience her worst nightmare of being the center of attention in a religious person's house party. Because verse 44 says this. Then Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. Look at this woman. In the Greek, that's actually a question. Do you see this woman? All eyes. Everyone in the room when it happened, all eyes were on this unnamed woman. And we get what Jesus says. Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but by the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. You want to talk about social miscues, social faux pas, when somebody threw a party in that culture, especially a party for a distinguished rabbi, three things always happened. First, when the person walked in, the host placed a hand on his shoulder and gave a kiss of peace. This would not have been something that was forgotten, especially to the rabbi. Now, second, in that day, the roads were long, dusty, and dirty, right? Not like our centennial trail, which is nice and paved and six feet apart all the way to Idaho. All right? Roads were dusty, dirty, and feet would have been filthy, and the guys and women walked around wearing sandals. My son calls them Air Jerusalems. Yeah, they walked around wearing sandals so people's feet would be dirty when they walked in. Always the host would provide cool water to refresh and to cleanse the feet of the people walking in. 
And the third thing they always did was with either a pinch of sweet-smelling incense, an adder of roses, or olive oil, they would anoint. They would bless the guest's head. All of these were standard. And this is what good manners de- like demanded. This is what was expected. It's as if Jesus is saying, hey, uh, Simon, you may be looking at her, but you need to look at you. And in fact, you've got to wonder, because these were never forgotten, did Simon really want Jesus there? Again, the corporate gasp would have been taken out of the room as Jesus continued talking. He said, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. She has a for- so she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only little love. Verse 48, then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Man, if you put yourself in that story, I would hope that you'd be crying, at least inwardly. All right, because I don't know if you realized it, but from the moment in verse 44 when it says Jesus turned and looked at the woman, he didn't take his eyes off of her. He told this whole story to Simon while looking directly at the woman. Verse 48, it doesn't say, and then he turned back from looking at Simon. It just says, and he said to her. This amazing, powerful story. Jesus' eyes are locked on to this woman. Now, unlike Simon, and unlike everybody else in the room, perhaps, Jesus did see this woman. He did see her every part of her, the good, the bad, the the pieces that were public and the pieces that were kept hidden, the known and the unknown. This is powerful. This woman was being seen perhaps for the first time in years. I was watching a syndicated sitcom, which is just a fancy way of saying I was Ben show watching something on Netflix, okay, this past week with Abby. And in this show, there is a mom who is talking to her grown child about a love interest who is pursuing this grown child. And the mom named Moira says, after five minutes in the room with sweet Pat, he sees you for all that you are. He sees you for all that you are. After a few minutes in the room with this woman, Jesus saw her for all that she was. And he looked directly at her while teaching, chiding, correcting Simon, who needed to be corrected. But he kept his gaze on her. And he spoke truth. He spoke truth about her life that everybody in the, in the room knew. She was a sinner. People knew that. But that didn't take his eyes off her. Jesus just kept on, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> staring <coughs> at her. Right? He showed She showed Jesus more love than anybody else in that room. So he looked at her, locked her gaze, saw her for all that she was, and he forgave her sins. And I love this. If you look deeply into the text, you see he does that twice. One in verse 47, one in verse 48. So that nobody in the room could miss that, right? Maybe, Maybe had he said it once, they might have thought, ah, I misheard him. But he says it twice. Your sins have been forgiven. And he turns to the woman and says, your sins are forgiven. No one else in the room liked that. Verse 49, the men at the table said amongst themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? 
Wait, 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 I want to take that back. I said no one else in the room like that? Nobody else at the table like that. The religious people, the ones that had been invited to the party, they didn't like that. But I got to wonder if the other people in the room, the outcasts, the wallflowers, if they heard that and smiled inwardly. Now Jesus, still looking at this woman, full of love, full of compassion, full of forgiveness, says to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. The gospel writer Luke, in the beginning of his gospel, chapter 2, verse 14, we, we always see this as angels, right, singing this song. Man, I saw this in conjunction with this story. It says in Luke 2.14 that the angels declared that peace was given to those with whom God is pleased. Peace is given to those with whom God is pleased. What did Jesus just give this immoral woman who was full of sin? Peace. He put her right back in her rightful place in the family of God. Later on, he would tell his disciples in John 14, verse 27, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart, and a peace that I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. I don't know if Jesus gave this woman a fresh start in life. I don't know what she went back to the next week, okay? But in that moment, he restored her to the rightful place in the family of God. We don't, we don't know if the community of Jews that had kicked her out of there, uh, if they restored her too, but Jesus absolutely did. Said her faith had saved her and then dropped one of the biggest grace bombs in all of scripture. Oh, to be in the room when that happened, amen? I told you earlier, that I love stories like this because it leaves us with a whole ton of unanswered questions and yet it answers the most important ones. I got three answers from this text. I'm sure we can see more in there, but these are the three that I'm, that I'm pulling from here. The first is this. When we are talking about confession, when we're talking about repentance, is there a certain posture, right? Do our eyes have to go a certain direction? If you were here last week, you remember me talking about King David and, and telling you that when he messed up with Bathsheba, his eyes were down. He was focused on himself. But when he had turned to God, right, his, his eyes must have lifted up to God. So the question comes, is there a certain physicality, a certain posture that we need to have when we are turning towards God? Do our eyes need to be a certain direction? The answer to that is no. Because I don't know at what point in the story this woman lifted her eyes up. Oh, I hope at some point she did to look into the loving, forgiving eyes of Jesus. But it might be that her eyes never went off the ground. So you can lift your eyes up. You can lift them. You can put them down. You can keep them open. You can keep them closed. God doesn't care whether your eyes are open. He cares whether your heart is open. Next big question. Do I need to confess every single sin by name when I am coming to Jesus to, to repent? I think there's power in confessing our sins by name. I think, there, I think there's, there's, there's a weight to doing that. But I think as is evidence from this story that what is more important isn't this laundry list of sins but a proper heart condition when somebody comes before the Lord. You notice that this, this woman didn't come and, and list out her pages upon pages upon pages of sins before Jesus. She came with a broken and contrite heart. 
Sounds a little bit like what King David said God wanted, right? Psalm 51, verse 17. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. This woman didn't list off her pages of sins. She came broken, weeping, and wordless, and perhaps her tears were her confession. Modern-day singer-songwriter Jared Way says that tears are words the heart can't express. Mm. Tears are words the heart can't express. King David knew a thing or two about that. Psalm 58 or Psalm 56 verse 8 it says you keep track of all of my sorrows. I love this in the Hebrew that word means wandering. You keep track of all of my wanderings. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. Perhaps the woman's tears were her confession. There's an answered question for you. Final big question. Will God really forgive me? Will God really forgive you? Doesn't he know what you bring to the table? Does he know who you really are? The answer to that is yes. Yes and yes. Just like the woman in the story, Jesus sees you for all that you are. He forgives you, already has, and will continue to do so. And the faith you bring brings salvation both now and into forever. Here's the best part of this. You don't have to be in a specific room for that to happen, right? Cue the Hamilton music. You don't have to be in a specific room for that to happen. You don't have to be in a confessional booth at church. You don't have to be sitting in chairs singing just as I am. You don't have to have both hands of a pastor laid on you after a mentoring session at the local coffee shop. You don't have to be there. Jesus sees you wherever you are, in whatever shape you are, whatever room you are in, or not in a room. Maybe you're in a fishing boat, a campsite, behind an iPhone, iPad, computer screen, at a kid's soccer game, PTA movie, a PTA meeting, a movie theater, in a crowd of people by yourself. Perhaps you're even in a church. Jesus sees you. He knows you. He loves you. And he's longing. He's desiring to look at you and say your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I wonder how many angels surround Jesus. And I wonder how many of them are wishing they could be in the room when this happens, right? When somebody finally realizes that they are a broken person in need of a savior, they come before Jesus with this repentant heart I wonder if they are waiting at the doorways of heaven for Jesus to walk through and say, hey, y'all, I was just in the room when that happened. If you are already in a relationship with Jesus, I praise God for that. I absolutely do. And I would encourage you this week to, to read this story multiple times, maybe even every day. Put yourself in the story in different characters. John, who's part of my catechumenate group, put himself in the story as Simon. And boy, his response was interesting. So put yourself in this story and experience the grace from different angles. Now, if this is the first time you've heard of the unconditional love of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, if this is the first time this has really made sense to you, and today you're longing to hear him say you're forgiven, your faith has saved you, go in peace, well, today is the day that you can hear that. We want to give you an opportunity to, to respond to that. Tim, I want to have you come on up. We're going to sing two more songs. 
if, whether you're here in person, whether you're watching online, if this is the first you've heard of Jesus' unconditional love and his forgiveness, and, and you're at that broken place where the woman was, and you want with all your heart to hear him say, you're forgiven, then today's the day you get to hear his voice, because it's been his voice that's been tugging at your heart, not mine. During these two songs that we'll sing, just tell him what's on your heart. You, know, you can let him know that you realize you need him. You can let him know that you realize you need his forgiveness. Or if your heart just needs to weep in his presence, just let that happen. Whatever it is, if there's some sort of response Jesus is calling you to from today's story, make sure you take that step of faith. Let's pray. Jesus, I recognize that we don't even have a right to be in the room where you are. We're on our own, our own power, our own strength, we are not good enough to be in your presence. The party that you're throwing, but see, because of your work on the cross, you have given us the ability to come before you. And maybe that's behind you, like, like this woman, to come and weep at your feet. Lord, we want to come today, we want to confess whether it's just one or two sins from this last week or this last couple of hours or whether it's a laundry list. We want to come before you hungering and thirsting to hear your voice saying, you, my child, are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus, that's what we want to hear this morning. We want to be like the woman in the story who you restored back to the family of God. Jesus, if you are tugging on somebody's heart, tug hard enough to bring response. Perhaps this is just a, a return to Jesus. Perhaps you've been wandering a little bit. You've been doing your own thing. Maybe you hear the voice of Jesus this morning saying, it's, it's time to come home. It's time to come back. I thank you, Jesus, that if we, are, if we, we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive them as far as the east is from the west. Lord, hear the hearts, the heart cries of the people that are here. Hear them as we worship. Hear them as they pray. I ask this in Jesus' name.